Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Cool Hand Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Luke Welch, and today's episode is a top 10 episode. Normally, I would avoid such a thing since it usually involves ranking things in such a way that someone is likely to be offended by the order, but since it involves personal experiences, I don't mind sharing some of these anecdotes with you. Please feel free to let me know if you agree with the ranking system and what your favorite anecdote of the bunch is. So, without stalling any further, I present to you my top 10 list of all-time craziest musical experiences as a pianist, things that have happened to me over the years that you would absolutely never anticipate, or in some instances, believe to be true. Settle in, and here we go! Number 10, Earthquake! So this story is about a recital I had in New Zealand's capital city, Wellington, back in 2015. It was my first time visiting this incredibly beautiful country and was by far the furthest I had ever traveled in my life. In spite of being a notoriously avid traveler, the flights alone took a couple of days from Europe. The event in question happened at St. Andrews on the Terrace, a beautiful church located right in the heart of the city. It was the second performance of a five-city tour throughout the country, and as is customary after arriving, meeting the concert promoter, warming up, and waiting backstage to start the recital, the concert promoter gave what I thought was the usual spiel before every performance. Welcome to the event, please turn off your mobile phones, etc, etc. In some ways, it was indeed a traditional introduction for the Kiwis, as part of their standard opening was what to do in the event of an earthquake. Yes, an earthquake. My dear listeners, I'm from Ontario, Canada, and I also did live for some time in the Netherlands. These are not exactly earthquake-oriented parts of the world, and earthquakes have never been even so much as a passing thought in my head. Who was I to know that New Zealand averages six earthquakes a day? Apparently, the announcement included recommendations to the audience members on places to take shelter in the event of a crazy situation like that, but apparently the Steinway concert grand piano that I was just about to be playing on was reserved for the performer. In this case, me! You could only imagine my reaction when we were all out for lunch afterwards and it came up in conversation. I suppose I could only be flattered that I was um, taken care of by my gracious hosts. Side note, would anyone who is or isn't familiar with earthquakes be willing to instinctively jump under Grand Piano for cover in the event of an earthquake? Please let me know. Number nine, snap, crackle. This totally random event also happened to me during my 2015 visit to New Zealand. Oh, what a fun trip that was. Anyway, I'm now in Auckland, a fair distance up the North Island. For those who are not so familiar with New Zealand, the country is essentially consisting of two main islands, the South Island officially being the main island, and the Northern one which boasts the majority of the biggest cities and the higher population. I was particularly excited for this recital since I had heard and seen so much about Auckland with its legendary sky tower, its chic vibe, and all. The performance seemed to be going quite well heading into the intermission, and the second half included a series of works by Frederick Chopin prefaced by Canadian composer Oscar Morvis's Scherzo, which is truly a brilliant and lively piece. 
Apparently, I was so intensely engaged in the scherzo with its crisp, light opening section, followed by a bombastic second theme, notes flying all the way from the bottom end of the keyboard to the top, that when I started the big flourish on one end, there was a sickening crack from below. So, I kept playing, but I quickly realized that it was the bench underneath me that had given out to one side. Not the legs, but the actual seat which had been heightened. My musical DNA has been programmed from day one to just keep going no matter what's happening to or around me, so I just kept on playing. Rocking almost sea-sickeningly left and right, depending on which way my weight shifted on the bench, but thankfully the bench never gave out entirely. In my head, I thought maybe with all of the flourishes in the music that no one would have paid any mind, but after the recital was finished and I was talking with the audience, it seemed as though they had all noticed too. Side note, apparently even though we all thought the bench was a complete goner, it allegedly survived several more performances in that series before officially entering retirement. Number 8. Fingers crossed! This fingers crossed moment happened in my most recent performance this past October 2021, which represented the first in-person concert in almost two years for both the York Chamber Ensemble and myself. The wildness of COVID-19 had brought everything around the world to a screeching halt for a couple of years, so everyone was excited to finally have an opportunity to perform for a live audience again. It was a beautiful evening in Newmarket, Ontario, as the orchestra and I collaborated on a performance of Mozart's Piano Concerto No. 20 in D minor, K466 for the Mozart buffs out there. The music was flowing and the performance was continuing right along into the second movement, the slow movement. The orchestra had just finished its interlude, so I joined in and began to play my next entry when I could hear something overhead. There was a slight rumbling from the top of the piano. I looked up only to see the great big lid of the grand piano hopping precariously away from the stick which was propping the piano open. I honestly didn't know what to do because if that lid came crashing down from that height it would truly ruin the instrument, not only the inner workings but perhaps also cause the legs of the piano to give. I couldn't even imagine what would happen at that point. So I did the only thing I knew. I just kept on playing and hoped that A the piano and lid would make it to the end, and B, nobody noticed what was going on. Mercifully, part A came true. The lid, thankfully, never did collapse. Crisis averted. But as for nobody noticing, not a chance. After the concert, I had an opportunity to meet and greet the crowd, all of whom were happy to be attending an in-person concert and analyzing the performance, though pretty much every single person was sure to mention the piano lid. What happened? I was asked. Did I also notice, as the performer, the crackling sound the lid had made? How on earth was I able to keep playing under those circumstances? Perhaps it was a collective effort from everyone in the concert hall holding their breath that kept the lid from falling. I will never know for sure, but needless to say, I was so grateful that neither the performance or the instrument crumbled that evening. Side note, it's normally stagehands who are responsible for opening and closing the piano. There are multiple holes in the piano lid for the multiple sizes of sticks to prop open that piano lid. In this instance, it was the conductor who had set up the instrument since the pieces before and after the concerto did not use piano. Therefore, it wasn't possible to keep the lid open for the entire concert or else the audience's view of the orchestra would have been completely and needlessly obstructed. 
since I was so focused on the moment, I didn't bother double checking whether things were set up correctly. Whoops! Number seven, say cheese! Okay, so this anecdote involves my immediate family, so I apologize in advance for hanging a close family member out to dry on this one, but I still think it's worth telling. This story takes place back in 2015, immediately after my trip to New Zealand. I flew back to Toronto to visit family, while also continuing my concert tour with some performances around Southern Ontario. The first recital took place in downtown Toronto in the Music Mondays concert series, which was the perfect opportunity for both my immediate and extended family to catch up and hear me play. Being at such a historic venue, on a special occasion, I had asked my father during the warm-up to take a few photos of me playing. I had expected that he would snap a few shots while I was finishing warming up, which I think he did, so I went back to focusing on preparing for the event. Flash forward to a little while later, as I completed my warm-up, waited backstage, was introduced, took a bow, and started the recital. The event started well, in spite of the extra adrenaline, and everyone was settling into the first piece, Robert Schumann's Kinderzenen, or for the native English speakers, Scenes from Childhood, Opus 15, a set of 13 beautiful miniature pieces. While I am partway through the set, I thought I could sense some movement out of my periphery. Hmm. Perhaps someone needed to quietly excuse themselves to exit for the toilets or something? I kept playing, but now the movement actually seemed to be getting closer, astoundingly coming towards the stage area where I was playing. This seemed very odd, since there was no reason for anyone to approach me in the middle of what was clearly a performance. I didn't want to look up in fear of losing my concentration at such a big event, especially during the very opening minutes. Well, the figure was not to be deterred by the circumstances, shoes now clattering up the stairs and walking right in front and beside me while I continued to play. It was now, during a quick glance up, that I realized it was my dad. He had somehow taken the request to take photos of me to mean he had complete carte blanche to strut around like he owned the place. I think the only thing that made things get even more ridiculous was that he used Flash to take the photos as well. Ugh. If the audience hadn't been quick to connect the dots, as clearly you could see confused faces littered throughout the crowd, they wouldn't have realized we were related and would have likely thrown him out. And to be honest, I wouldn't blame them either. To this very day, my dad defends his actions and likes to remind me that I've used one or two of these photos for my own website and promotional materials. Needless to say, it was the last time I've ever asked him to take pictures of me at one of my performances. Number six, turn, turn, turn. This story takes place way back to my high school days. I studied as a piano major at an arts high school, Mayfield Secondary School, which also had three other piano majors in my year. We were in our last year before graduation, and the music program had arranged a special performance of two pianos, eight hand pieces for our music class. I had been teamed with Magda, herself a wonderful pianist at the time, and we had gone through the regional arts program together since the beginning of high school. She had quite the musical pedigree, both of her parents were pianists, and she herself had been playing since she could basically walk, and had already accelerated through the Royal Conservatory of Music System. We had spent countless hours working on our individual parts, then put our parts together as a duo as we built the ensemble for the other half of performers. 
Flash forward to the day of the performance. We're all set, ready to go, warmed up with two pianos arranged in the middle of the orchestra room for the big performance. Our classmates greeted the four of us as we walked into the room and we launched into the first piece. We hit the end of the first section and go back to the beginning for the repeat. As we finish the repeat of the opening section, we continue forward with a quick page turn, except as you can probably imagine by now, the pages are not cooperating with Magda's attempt to flip to the next section. I'm sort of giggling to myself as the music continues forward while I glance over at the pianist on the far side piano who also seem to have taken notice of the unfolding mini drama. Eventually Magda has had enough and just frustratingly tosses the pages of music in exasperation before joining into the second half. We all breathe a quick sigh of relief before realizing that the piece returns to the opening theme of which the score is now sitting in a crumpled pile on the floor halfway across the room. So now poor Magda has to scramble mid-performance across the room to grab the sheet music lying in a heap on the floor. At this point, she's about as red in the face as I've ever seen any human being in pure embarrassment, while the entire room of classmates, teachers, and the like are audibly trying as hard as they can to stifle uncontrollable laughter. Remarkably, she gallantly runs over, picks up the music, rushes back and puts it onto the stand, sits down, and we all play it through to the end without skipping a beat. Well, she may have missed a few, but you know what I mean. We miraculously end with a big flourish, leaving us all with a memory never to forget. Number five, please stop playing. This story takes place a mere three weeks after I had moved halfway across the world to the Netherlands back in 2007. I had decided to move to Rotterdam to do a graduate study program as part of the attempted comeback from the tendonitis carpal tunnel pinched nerve injuries I had sustained from playing the piano, which had at this point derailed my career for the better part of three years. For those curious about the details regarding these injuries, check out the third episode of Cool Hand Adventures, No Pain No Gain, Chasing the Dream, where I talk about the circumstances leading up to the devastating setbacks. Okay, so now back to Rotterdam. I'm out with a friend slash piano colleague of mine who was one of the very first people I had met after arriving in the Netherlands as she had also just moved there from Australia and had purchased a grand piano to practice on at home. She invited me one Saturday morning to tag along and give my unofficial blessing to the instrument, so we trekked over to the piano store on the east end of the city and had spent a bit of time looking around the showroom. It was quite a nice start to the day, being ushered around the gallery and trying all sorts of nice makes and models of pianos, until my friend suggests we go and uh, check out her recently acquired instrument in the back. The piano she had purchased was safely tucked away in a large back room with several other instruments, isolated behind closed doors and away from the showroom. The associate who had been accompanying us left us to our devices and had closed the door behind him as he went back to the showroom. My friend sat down and began to play through a few pieces, getting acquainted with her new piano and showcasing some of the pieces she had been practicing. I was sitting back enjoying her playing when she finished a piece and invited me to change seats to try out the piano. I gladly obliged, and while I was in the middle of playing, the sales associate entered the room and declared, Please stop playing! The Prime Minister is here! At this point, my friend and I were totally confused. I was wondering to myself if there was some sort of language barrier, and uh, that he was maybe referring to the head of the company making a surprise visit to the store? Why would that require some grand announcement? So, as I looked up, I see a man in a suit smiling warmly at us. He walks over and greets us. Hello? 
My name is Jan Peter Balkanende. Nice to meet you, he says with a handshake. Then it finally dawns on us. It's the freaking Dutch Prime Minister. My friend and I both introduce ourselves to the PM and get acquainted, also mentioning to him that my friend is from Australia and that I'm from Canada, both countries of which he is apparently very fond of. After a bit of further banter, we are ushered towards this door and asked us to leave the back room and return to the main room. The first thing I notice are several detailed security officers in the showroom, complete with all black clothing, sunglasses, even though we're indoors, and earpieces. And also a woman and young girl, probably around the age of 8 to 10 or so. It turns out that these are his wife and daughter who are browsing, the latter of whom is just about to start taking piano lessons, which is why they're in search of a new piano. Mr. Balkananda turns to us and asks if we would be willing to spare some time and expertise by helping him choose a new instrument. Of course, we exclaimed, as my friend and I each took turns, pointing out the various makes, models, tone qualities, while sitting down and demonstrating on various pianos what they sound like and what we like and notice about each one of them. All told, we spent about 45 minutes together walking around, testing instruments, and enjoying a coffee before the Prime Minister and his family ultimately ended up selecting the piano we recommended. I still love bringing to my Dutch friends that Jan Peter Balkananda bought our chosen piano, and this story remains one of the most surreal but fun musical moments that has ever happened to me. It was a great introduction to my new life in the Netherlands. Number four. What time is it? This completely ridiculous series of events happened to me back in 2018, my first return visit to the Netherlands since moving back to Canada about a year prior. I had been invited to perform at two museums, famous for their collection of some of the most historic pianos in the world. There were two performances, the first of which took place at Gelwink Music Museum in Suffen, a border city to Germany just outside of Arnhem. The second recital was the next day at Museum Het Kromhouthaus in Amsterdam, about an hour and a half drive from Zutphen. The concert promoter Dunja had been at both events and had been a gracious host, as well as the driver from Zutphen to Amsterdam. We had chatted endlessly throughout the trip about all things musical and non-musical alike, which made the drive seem that much more short than it really was. As we arrived at the second venue, I was met by the Kwamhat House staff, who took me to my green room and showed me where the performance would be taking place. The historical forte piano was already set up in one of the main rooms of the museum, so after taking a moment to leave my belongings upstairs and eat a quick lunch, I decided to go downstairs to warm up on the delicate instrument, which does take some time to adjust to when you've been used to practicing and performing on modern pianos. I was running through my program for the afternoon when some people would intermittently walk in or in some cases peek through the doors and listen. At this point, I now had been warming up for just about an hour or so and the room was now approximately two-thirds full. There were no signs of the concert promoter and the time was creeping closer and closer towards 4 o'clock p.m. I decided to stop playing, excuse myself away from the audience and wait outside the room. As the clock struck four, with still no signs of Dunya the promoter, I didn't know what to do. It was the first time I had ever been caught in such a situation, so I looked around for a short while and asked at the front desk, of course with no luck. The sheer size and layout of the building would have taken me forever to even know where to start looking for her, so I decided to wait a few more minutes, then burst back into the piano gallery where the audience had continued to wait quietly, with others slowly trickling in, and decided to start the recital. 
I introduced myself and my pieces and launched into the performance. The first half's program before the intermission was Loving Bad Beethoven's Two Rondos Opus 51, followed by his 12th piano sonata in A-flat major Opus 26. I had finished playing the two rondos and was partway through the second of four movements in the piano sonata when Dunya showed up at the door, just inside my peripheral vision from where I was playing. I look over, she has the most confused look on her face that I've ever seen in my life. Remarkably, I made a quick and unprecedented decision and somehow decided to stop playing mid-movement. Now I'm not sure if it was out of pure instinct, since my musical DNA is programmed to never stop playing for any reason, or if she just made some sort of gesture. I don't think she did. I'm actually more than positive it must have been because of her complete look of shock that stopped me right in my tracks. At that point, I again excuse myself to the now almost complete capacity audience and rush over to figure out what's going on. What are you doing? She innocently yet sincerely asks. I have no idea, I reply. I just thought the performance was supposed to start at four and I couldn't find you anywhere. I waited as long as I could, but then decided to start. Um, the performance starts at 4.45, she retorts. At that point, I wish there was some way to get one of the massive paintings on the wall to open up so I could just crawl in and hide. Needless to say, at 4.45 p.m., everyone was in the right place and it turned into a great event. I'm honestly just so impressed that there were actually some in the audience who had arrived and were browsing the museum while I was warming up sat down to listen for a bit, but stayed right through to the very end several hours later. Number 3. Happy New Year! This event took place on New Year's Eve several years ago during my last trip to Jamaica. I'd flown down from Toronto with my family to see relatives and celebrate the Christmas holidays in the warm and beautiful Caribbean. I had been to Jamaica on several occasions in the past, and though some of my cousins knew I played the piano, they'd never actually seen me play before. We had enjoyed a boisterous Christmas celebration that year, and were gearing up for some more festivities to ring in the new year. It was the first time I'd ever celebrated the winter holidays outside of Canada, and in spite of the balmy 30 plus degree Celsius weather adding to the surreal atmosphere, I had felt the entire time as though this was going to be a trip to remember. New Year's Eve turned from afternoon into evening, and as is customary, there was going to be a ringing in of the New Year at church. My older cousin was part of the church band as its drummer, so I decided to tag along with him and my younger cousin, his brother, to go to the church early and get things set up and settled in. Shortly after arriving and me deciding to snoop around a bit, I realized that most of the equipment was already set up. Drum kit keyboard, microphones, etc., so I decided to sit down at the keys and fool around a bit as other band members began to show up. My cousin and the band members were all catching up, having a laugh, and organizing the evening's events. As they started setting up the stage, my cousin points over to me and mentions to one of the band members that I play the piano. Okay, great! He can play tonight, the guy replies as he walks away to continue setting up, while my cousin walks over to me and says, Yes, you're playing tonight! My cousin declares this, walking over to his jump kit and starting to warm up. Hey, wait, what? I choke out, as I am still in shock at this sudden and expected development to my evening plans. I don't even know what you're going to play. Ah, you'll be fine, my big cousin replies matter-of-factly as he adjusts the cymbals. Now the panic begins to settle in, with the realization that there's no way of getting out of this situation, at least that I could think of. And at this point, the rest of my family and other members of the congregation are beginning to file into the church. The band is all set up and starting into the first number. 
It's go time. Thankfully, I have perfect pitch, and when I was first becoming familiarized with the piano as a youngster, I had learned to play by ear. It had been a very, very long time since those days, as I had received my formal training classically. Nevertheless, once the music started up, I just jumped in and began playing along. Admittedly a bit deer in the headlights at first, and never really taking my eye off my cousin, though I eventually did settle down and began embracing the moment. We ended up playing for well over three hours that night and rung in the new year in energetic and spectacular fashion. It honestly ended up being one of the most exciting and memorable musical moments of my life. Honestly, the whole thing seemed so surreal that as the years went by, I started to convince myself that the whole thing never really happened. That is, until my parents brought it up recently, at which point all those memories and emotions came rushing back. I sure hope to have another opportunity to fly down to Jamaica in the near future. Though, I'll probably avoid visiting anytime close to New Year's Eve. Number 2. Surprise! Back in 2007, I had moved to Rotterdam, the Netherlands, with the intention of recovering from my piano-related injuries. And for those who don't quite understand what I'm referencing, I encourage you to check out the third Cool Hand Adventures episode where I explain things in detail. I was enrolled in graduate studies, which required a public recital at the end of each year of the two-year program. The recital at the end of the first year was particularly emotional for me, as it signified a major step in the right direction, being able to play for a full hour under pressure. The second year recital, however, was emotional and particularly special, though for different reasons entirely. Of course, the expectations from jurors is to show a significant improvement, and while I did receive quite a good mark in the first year, I also put pressure on myself to do even better the second time around. I felt better physically than I did in the first year, and I had prepared the music as best as I could, so I decided to invite all of my new European friends and classmates to attend the big event. I wanted to do something different than everyone else. Of course, being an academic institution, most performers merely practiced their butt-offs, get all dolled up for their respective recitals, played, and went off into the sunset to start or, in some cases, continue their professional careers. I had also practiced my butt-off, got all dolled up in a white pinstripe suit, and presented what turned out to be a fairly strong program. What I hadn't anticipated, however, were my friends all showing up in custom-made t-shirts complete with number one foam fingers and a raucous ovation. I could see the confusion and slight discomfort in my piano teacher and the examination jury, what they had for the audience, though since this was the majority of the crowd were actually students who attended the same conservatory and remained boisterous yet tasteful, never crossing any lines, they were allowed to stay. By the end of the recital, everyone in the room was completely ecstatic. My teacher for the performance itself, my fellow pianists and classmates, including the rambunctious sections of the audience who were simply pleased with the performance and happened to see me do well, and also myself, who was particularly emotional at the official comeback from all of those painful injuries. I had indeed been successful in my move to Europe, recoveries from injuries, and the achievement of a very respectable grade and response from the top level of the conservatory. I couldn't contain my excitement any longer, so I reached into my suit jacket pockets and filled each of my hands before throwing the contents into the air and at the audience. At first there was slight confusion, then even more relation as people realized what was going on. At the time, the biggest chain of supermarkets, Albert Hein, had been doing a promotion with the purchase of groceries where they would give away these small fuzzy toys that a little 
that I found out a little bit later were called Beezies. I think it had something to do with the World Cup, and they came in different Dutch-oriented colors. Red, white, blue, and of course orange. I somehow had collected a huge amount of them, probably due to some cashiers just wanting to get rid of them and giving me a bunch at a time, so I loaded up my pockets before the examination recital for exactly that situation. My piano teacher was in total shock. At first, I didn't know what you were doing, but this is wonderful, he exclaimed. Indeed, that day really was wonderful. Between the hooting and hollering, custom clothing and wild audience, the toys flying all around the room, I'd like to think that the conservatory, or at least the classical music department at the conservatory, has never seen anything like that before or since. Number one, how I got my second mother. I probably tell this story the most by far because it's a personal favorite of mine. It was my debut performance as soloist with an orchestra, the Durham Chamber Orchestra in Ajax, Ontario, for those who are unfamiliar, the eastern suburbs of Toronto. Being such a major event, my parents were in attendance, as were several extended family members who have always supported my career and tend to make surprise appearances whenever they can. It was a wonderful mid-afternoon event in early May, collaborating on Mozart's iconic piano concerto in C major K467. There was a capacity audience for the event, which only added to all the excitement for my big moment. The concert began with an orchestral piece, as is customary in these types of performances, followed by the piano concerto to the end of the first half. It seemed to be a big success, as the reception by the audience after the performance was one that I will never forget. As I made my way to the foyer of the concert hall, the audience began to filter out towards me as it was now the intermission. Lost in the sea of humanity, I couldn't locate my parents, though my aunt had come over to congratulate me. As she was standing next to me, people started congratulating her as well, since they had assumed she was my mother. Congratulations, exclaimed one lady to my aunt. You must be so proud of him, exclaimed another. Thank you, and why yes, I really am very proud of him, said my aunt, without ever outright claiming to be my mother. He must practice a lot said a man, at which point my aunt replies, I believe he does. These exchanges continue, and at first I was a bit confused and didn't really know how to react, but I could see by the look on her face she was enjoying every second of it. I realized her responses were so cleverly generic without revealing anything about her identity, so we merely smirked at each other while exchanging a knowing look and continued to let the compliments roll in. Whenever someone did ask if she was my mother, we would tell the truth, only to have the person standing literally behind the questioner come up and heap more praise on my, um, mother. This went on for a good four or five minutes or so before my actual mother finally finds us standing there, as people are still standing and talking to my aunt and showering us both with enthusiasm. My mother quickly realized what's going on and jumped in without provocation to introduce herself as my real mother. By then, the damage had been done as most of the people that had, at that point, you know, continued on with grabbing their refreshments, using the facilities, and head back to their seats to settle in for the second half of the concert. We still, to this day, refer to my aunt as my second mother, and she herself revels in every reference to that tale. Unbelievable.
Today's cool hand question is one that I'm often asked, and though there have been several variations on the question, I will answer it as it was submitted. I'll likely dedicate a future episode, or at the very least part of one, to this question since I believe it's particularly important and deserves extra attention. What are three practice tips to help me improve on the piano? The number one answer without question is practice, practice, practice. There are no shortcuts in this artistic field. And while people often marvel at my ability to learn, memorize, and perform all sorts of repertoire, it all comes down to practice. Some people have a better memory and are able to learn their music more quickly than others, while others are blessed with technical and physical advantages. In all instances, there needs to be a constant dedication of time each and every day to your craft. Of course, there will be days or instances when practicing may not be possible or not as much time to devote to practicing as we'd like, though it's better to practice for a shorter amount of time every day than to have one long practice day followed by days off altogether. Consistency is the key. The second bit of advice I would give to young pianists is to diversify your repertoire as much as possible, both in terms of style, baroque, classical, romantic, contemporary, etc., as well as the difficulty of music. At any time, aim to be learning exceptionally difficult pieces that will challenge the extremity of your abilities while simultaneously preparing level-appropriate music, pieces that are not too easy or too difficult, though they'll keep you musically honest, and perhaps even having some easier or lighter pieces to be able to play at a moment's notice. Having this balance will continue to develop your abilities with hard repertoire while developing or allowing you to present music which best displays, best displays your talent, level appropriate repertoire, and easier pieces that you can just sit down and play for fun in case there are any days you don't necessarily feel like grinding away, but will still encourage you to sit down and play. Who knows? The easy pieces sometimes even serve as a great warm up and will sometimes change your mood to dig into the tougher stuff on an off day. The last bit of advice I'll give in this segment is to record yourself playing as much as you can. This may sound relatively simple and straightforward, though listening back to a recording of your own playing is almost as awkward as hearing your own voice. It personally took me a very long time to be comfortable listening to myself play, though this concept is undeniably beneficial. You'll almost immediately hear what's really happening. Often, what you think you're doing isn't necessarily the case. Sections that sound secure in your head or your ear don't always come across on a recording, and vice versa. Maybe the lead into a particular section isn't as convincing as you would like. Maybe the tempo is too slow or too fast. All of these things and more can be and will be revealed. The best part is that recording yourself doesn't necessarily need to happen when the piece is already well learned. It can also be done throughout the practice process aim for at least once a week, you'd be amazed at what you'll learn about yourself. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining today's Cool Hand Adventure. Again, I'm your host, Luke Welch, and I look forward to you joining me again on our next adventure. As always, I encourage you to follow me on Instagram at LukeWelch underscore pianist, Facebook at LukeWelchPianist, and checking out my YouTube channel. Please share this episode and series with your friends and family as well as through social media and tag me at W66. That's D-U-B-Y-A-66. And follow the Cool Hand Adventures podcast on Spotify, Anchor.fm, and Apple Podcasts to get notified when new episodes are released. As always, for anyone interested in contacting me directly, you can do so through my website's contact page at lukewelch.ca. 
Until next time, I wish you all the very best. Stay healthy, happy, and adventurous. Thank you.